0: Welcome to Our Kids, Our Schools, your compass in the world of local education hosted by Alexis Morgan, an experienced guide and advocate. This space offers insights designed to serve parents, teachers, administrators, school board members, and community stakeholders. Every episode is designed to equip you with the knowledge and tools to be an active participant. This podcast isn't just a dialogue, it's a movement a movement that encourages collaboration to foster a thriving school community because together we can, we will make a difference. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. I received some information from some parents from the Idaho Falls School District prior to the school board election. And I wanted to follow up on this, one of the ideas that I'd shared in an earlier podcast, because. I think when I hear things around the state of Idaho, I want to share it with my listeners. So these parents worked really hard. There was a parent group that worked really hard to get three particular candidates on their school board. And in the end, when the elections came through, they got two out of three of their candidates on the school board, which is great. So commendable. One of the parents in this group shared screenshots with me about the final voter tally and for the one candidate who did not get elected to be on the school board they lost by one vote and i think that that can feel totally heartbreaking to lose by one vote and think oh you know if one or two more people had turned out it might have turned out differently but also it just goes it's an example for all of us that one vote in a local election Really makes a difference. Your vote, my vote matters when we're talking about local elections, and I just think that that's such a great story that captures that here in the state of Idaho for us. The other thing that I wanted to share was that this last week I was able to attend the Idaho School Boards Association. Association annual convention. I was there as the president of Idaho PTA. We had an exhibit table, and we were able to interact with school board members and superintendents from around the state, sharing Idaho PTA's mission, some of the integrations that have happened over this over these last couple of months, things that are coming up, and that Parent groups are really important in our districts, regardless of if they're a PTA, PTO, or booster, we really want to come together and share our voices. And the school board members were great. I would say a majority of them were very responsive to wanting to be aware of what was going on with parents and sharing valuable information with their schools, with their parents, and with their patrons. And... Two major takeaways I had from the event were, one, Idaho has some great school board members who care deeply about their school districts, their school communities, and all of the different components that fall within that. And not only that, but they work to stay current on what's going on for their school district and using data and using surveys and interacting with their entire school community. And we see the benefit that those school districts receive because they do that. Also, it was evident to me that some school districts are not school boards, excuse me, some school board members are not clued in on what's going on with their parents or with their school community. And I think that that's such a disservice for the entire school community in that area. I will say that... Yes, there is something to be said for our school board members. These people are volunteering. They don't get paid for this. And so it does take a lot of time. And in our rural communities, there are only so many people who can serve in these capacities. And I think that there's, just for me, I feel gratitude for people who are willing to serve. Having said that, with that service comes a level of responsibility. And I... I also don't think that some of our school board members around the state are really embracing or understanding what that responsibility is to their school community, to, their, to the district employees, to the students within the schools, to the parents, and also to the patrons. I just don't think that they are really embracing that responsibility. And that's unfortunate because it's a major disservice to the entire school community. So one of the things that I want to do is encourage you to reach out to your school board member, whether that be via email or like going to a school board meeting and introducing yourself somehow, let yourself be known to your school board member because they need to know that we as parents and patrons hold them accountable for the choices that they're making for our school districts. And they need to know that they're accountable to the parents and patrons and also district employees for the choices that they make. Okay, so the thing that I really am focusing on today for the podcast is, excuse me, I've had a little bit of a virus. Uh, The thing that I'm focusing on today is a research paper that I found a couple of weeks ago that was published in 2020. And the title basically starts the word on the street or the number from the state. I do love a catchy title, and so this this title caught my eye, and I thought I want to take a look at this. And this study wanted to know what parents and patrons prefer when learning about schools and what they what they choose based on what they're how they're learning. So they wanted to know: Do parents and patrons prefer? data from the government entity, such as that public school, or do they prefer narration, such as comments from parents and nonprofit groups? There was a sampling taken, and there were two different samples used. This is important because a sample really needs to be representative uh, a good representation of the group that they're trying to understand. So the first sample was taken from a an online survey call, um, service referred to as YouGov, Y-O-U-G-O-V. And this sample was an accurate representation of the U.S. population. Once the researchers received information from YouGov, and they got some really good data from that. They had a couple of questions. and But because of the limitations of the first study, they weren't able to go back and ask follow-up questions. So they had to create a second sampling. And they used the Amazon Mechanical Turk, which is a marketplace for a completion of virtual tasks. That require human intelligence. So Mechanical Turk or MTurk in the research world, uh, that's what it's referred to as, is a service that gives businesses and researchers access to diverse, on-demand, scalable, uh, a workforce, or we would call them like a sampling of people um, that will complete a specific task in a convenient amount of time. And so this MTurk sampling was not as representative of the US population as was the first sample. Now, this is important because if a sampling, if a sampling is totally off, then that means the survey is off and it really dilutes the findings. I would say that based on what I read this sampling did not dilute the findings, but rather it does, but it does give some limitations to what they found. And that is, those types of information, that is really valuable when looking at a research article to understand the limitations of that research article and what it's really showing us and how we can understand that information. So, the reason, one of the reasons this research was significant was because the way that we receive information over the past two decades has changed dramatically. I think about the early 2000s, I was in college and Facebook was only available to college students. Like you, I had to use my college email to be able to access Facebook. And now we have a plethora of social media and engagement that people are interacting with online to not just information that we're receiving from government entities or businesses, but also the exchange that individuals have in regards to information and how that information is shared. So the reason one of the, one of the components of this survey was that, hey, we don't have current information based in the time period in which we live on how people prefer to receive information and then make choices based on the information that they have. So I was just thinking even in like just the different social media things that are available, platforms that are available out there, I was thinking about Nextdoor And the role that Nextdoor plays in just a community sharing information. Now, I'm not on Nextdoor looking at that like on a regular basis ever. When I moved to the community that I live in now, yeah, I was on Nextdoor initially. And then I saw the pluses and negatives and I just chose not to engage on that platform. But I know a lot of people are on that platform and they share information about it. And it's not just what's happening in your neighborhood, like, hey, be on the lookout for this, or hey, I just found this missing dog. They're also sharing information about what's happening in their community. There are online services. And one of my favorites is Idaho Ed News, which is a nonprofit news source that shares all things education in the state of Idaho. My favorite part of Idaho Ed News, besides I think they write great stories, is the when you're on their website, one of the top bars is called data. And you can go there and there's a section called Idaho Trends School Data. and allows the user to compare different schools around the state, how much money is spent per student, how much the different like the different scores for testing And how much money, like percentage wise, is coming from local, state, and federal? I actually use that information that they have there on a research paper I wrote for one of my classes. And it's really valuable data. If you have not accessed that, I really encourage you to do that because it can help you see and understand your school from a particular lens. And then it can allow you to compare schools, whatever schools that you want to compare around Idaho. So it's great. Now, There are limitations to this study that we're talking about. One is that it's not an absolute. That's really important to note. And that it was the way in which they shared the data, two numerical data sets, two narrative comments, that's what they're making the comparison to. So, what did they find? This is always the findings in the discussion are some of my favorite parts of the research. So what they found were that parents and patrons do have a preference when it comes to source and style of receiving information. So the source refers to the who the information is coming from. And I'm sure you can guess that parents and patrons preferred the source being other parents and nonprofit groups over government entities. That's the source they prefer it from. That makes sense to me because I see myself in that as well. I prefer hearing from other parents about what's happening for our schools, about our schools, and also nonprofit groups. I mean, as is evident with Idaho Ed News, which is a nonprofit news organization, I love hearing from them about what's happening because it's they work to be as unbiased as possible, share the information. The style also mattered to the recipients. And the style is how the information is shared. This is the data versus the narrative. And the survey participants preferred the narrative, they prefer comments. Now, this makes sense to me as we move into this discussion, the discussion because what's important, the relevance here, is that how Americans respond to different styles, topics, and sources. So for me personally, when I'm thinking about the source and the style, I often go to what I'm following online and how those people online are impacting choices I make. So for example, I follow uh, an influencer online. She does some great Disney stuff and she also shares her the things that she's buying and why she is using them and then she links it in for me. So she is a she is a woman about my age and she is buying things for her kids and she's buying things for her home and for herself. And so she's like giving this review on these different products and then she's linking it for me. So yeah, she is making a commission here, but she's really transparent about that too, so it doesn't bother me. And but what I realize is that yeah, I prefer her suggestions over just going to Amazon and finding something random. So to me, that indicates the source. Then the style, like when I am like, so Amazon is such a, it's such a relevant uh, company. When I'm looking at that, I look at the reviews to determine if I'm going to buy it or not. And I think what's important to know is there's been studies done before that negative comments actually have a greater impact than positive comments. I mean, we see this all around. I remember being a junior in high school. I was in an English class and my teacher was telling me that there used to be a good news newspaper and it went out of business because people prefer to read about negative and bad things, which... I just think oh that's kind of unfortunate but but wouldn't it be great to just read about unbiased things that are both positive and negative. So in this particular study what they did was they had a high positive, a moderate positive, a moderate negative, a low negative and they or or I guess I could say high negative like a highly negative comment and they used that to determine a couple of other different components about how people are responding to comments and numbers. So the study's contribution, it's noted that it does matter how parents and patrons shape their opinions of local schools in response to seeing parent comments and official ratings. So the study shows a perceived value grounded in both the information source parents over government, and the style, narration over numbers. Again, there is a caution here because the study should not be interpreted, they they make this very clear in the paper, the study should not be interpreted as a definite comparison of the effects of parent comments and government ratings as parents' comments as the victors. Because the fact is the way the data is formatted impacts outcomes. The study did not examine how people process conflicting comments. They didn't put conflicting comments up there. And it only showed two comments. So they only showed two numbers and two comments. They didn't show two numbers and 100 comments because what if there were two numbers and 100 comments? Would that impact how people use those two pieces of data to try to interpret the comments, like would people just be so overwhelmed with the comments that they just referred back to the two, the two data sets. So I think that that's like a major limit that was basically one of the limitations of the study. But there is still regardless of those cautions and the limitations, there's still things that we find about this that are applicable that are really important for us as people within a school community to understand. Now, one of the things that I loved was that they gave suggestions for public institutions. So that would be our school district is a public institution. The Department of Education, that's a public institution. And so there were three suggestions that I'm going to point out here because I think as listeners, we can do something within our school communities to share this information because I think at the end of the day, for me, I want my public school to be successful. Just like when someone becomes a leader of an entity and maybe I don't really care for that leader very much, and maybe I love the leader. Either way, I want them to be successful in their role so much as their success is going to impact my kids, me, my, like my family, my community. So that's just kind of like one way I look at it. So one, the first suggestion is government entities should consider providing narrative comments from expert observers, such as parents and teachers. I made a social media post last week about how how teachers are street-level bureaucrats. They are frontline workers. They are the people every day who are interacting with the public, our kids, the parents. And these are people who parents have grown on some level to really trust with educating their kids. And so getting narrative comments from teachers and from parents who are showing up at these schools could potentially help public schools as they work to share information about what's going on in their school to help the public, to help grow that relationship within the school community. A second suggestion was that there is potential value in more collecting and reporting constituent survey results. And we're talking about high-quality user surveys. This is something that I think I, well, I know over the years I've heard some parents say, why isn't my school collecting more information from parents, from teachers, and sharing that information with us so we know So we can all understand the pulse of what's going on within our communities. And I do think that there is a need for people to understand how others feel about what's happening in our school community. So it's interesting. My local school district collected a survey and they did it after a group of parents urged them to send out a survey, like, please send out surveys. So they started doing this a little bit more. And one of the things that they were trying to figure out was in reference to collecting more taxes and trying to address building issues, what are some of the main concerns of parents? And they gave them lots of options. It wasn't just building issues. It was other things like curriculum, school experience, extracurricular activities, and they really had an opportunity to rank some of their choices. And in this survey, it noted that 75% of survey respondents care deeply they're very concerned about building issues capacity and what we have within our district so that's significant and based on that information the school board moved forward with a certain action now they didn't do a lot of other things that would have helped them pass a levy that they put forth to the voters that got voted down in may but they did do one of the things, which was collect a survey, and then they shared out that data with their with their school community. So that's important. Another suggestion is, this is the final suggestion, is that the government might not be the ideal messengers for performance ratings of some organizations. So... The government, these are, this is when we say the government, oftentimes when people say the government and they make these blanket statements, really what we're talking about are the different departments within our, like just our public institutions. So, you know, like we have the department of labor, we have the IRS, we have, um, the department of education. There's a lot of departments. And so particularly here, we're talking about the department of education and than our school districts. So these government entities might not be the best messengers. So who are the best messengers? Well, the survey noted that there is greater trust in nonprofits. So when we look at nonprofits, we're talking about organizations such as like in Idaho, we're talking about Idaho Ed News. This is a nonprofit News organization that shares out unbiased stories about what's happening around the state. Parents and patrons trust that news source to give them the information, partly because that news source has been has worked really hard to build that, but also they're a nonprofit and they're not the government, even though they are sharing information that they're getting directly from the the government uh, data. <clears throat> the other thing. <clears throat> The other thing I think about are parent groups, nonprofits, PTAs, PTOs. These are nonprofit groups that have information and we are sharing it out. They are sharing it out with their community. And so I think this just really points to the importance of government entities working with nonprofits to be able to help foster that trust within a community. The other thing that's really kind of a, Another subset of this idea is that government entities, so if I I keep saying that, but I'm really talking about school districts, school districts can help current recipients of whatever public service they're receiving better assess the quality of what they're receiving and the value that they're getting, and that can be an indirect path to sharing information. Meaning I was thinking about like a practical application. Like what does this look like? And I thought, okay, let's, let's think like, um, parent teacher conferences and school board, school boards, district leaders, teachers. We want our parents to attend parent teacher conferences, but when those conferences are over, there often is not like a customer service experience where we say like, how was that experience for you? What could have been better? Where, um, what was great about it? And would you be willing to share some of this information with your friends? Like that encouragement of using parents to encourage other parents to attend parent-teacher conferences. Where we find parent-teacher conferences to really fall flat are on the middle school and high school level. I'll say that middle schools and high schools are not like as loving and welcoming as elementary schools, though I think some schools are really working to make a change in that. But I had an experience at a middle school parent-teacher conference recently. I didn't go to the high school parent-teacher conferences. I don't know that I've ever actually been to one. It was actually kind of, I'm like sitting here remembering how one time I got When my oldest was in high school, he wanted to attend his own parent teacher conferences. And I was like, okay, you go ahead and do that. You take that away because, and then he came and reported to me, which I thought was really cool. Uh, But for my youngest, who's in middle school, I was just, they just had parent teacher conferences and they had kind of like more strict rules about what they wanted that experience to be because I think they were anticipating a high. Attendance. Well, they didn't get a high attendance, not from when, not while I was there. I don't know what happened to later parts of the day, but for the two hours that I was there, they didn't have a super high attendance level. Okay. Anyways, the point being that while I was there, I had really good interactions with the teachers. And I really, we had some really great conversations about trying to understand what was happening for my daughter in their classrooms because she was like the way that she was performing in some classes was really high. And then in other classes, she wasn't having that same kind of experience. And so here I am as the parent trying to figure out like what's happening in this class that's contributing to her high level experience that's not happening in another class and really kind of looking, trying to look at it like a scientist, not taking it personally. And it was a great conversation that I had just with a myriad of teachers, very productive. And one of the teachers that I had gone there to learn from had said, hey, let's have a really good conversation during parent-teacher conference. So we didn't have to schedule at a different time. So we're having the conversation. I'm noticing that there's no one behind me in line. And so I just we just kind of allow this conversation to continue flowing. Well, one of the vice principals comes in and she cuts the conversation off and she really makes it so that I feel, I end up feeling kind of shamed for being this parent who was there. And the conversation ended quickly. Now she could have done a myriad of other things. She could have come in and found and integrated herself in a way that like approached the conversation with more curiosity and understanding. But what is valuable about this experience was that after that, I went and talked to a few of my friends And I let them know that, hey, I had a great time at parent-teacher conference. I had a great time talking with different teachers and asking them, but I didn't have a good experience with this vice principal. And so that's the piece that I think is really important when we're talking about government entities and understanding the performance ratings, that when we are interacting with school administrators, parents. We want to make sure when those parents are coming in and having those interactions with school administrators and parents, our administrators, they need those to be as positive as possible because those parents are tools for sharing out information. And we want, like, government entities, school districts, They need to do the best job that they can in being good messengers and interacting with the people who are sharing out information, who are then going to have a great impact on how other parents and patrons feel about the school. And so I was just thinking about how, gosh, when we have parents come in for a parent-teacher conference at a middle school, how great it would be. If our school leaders were more intentional about using those parents as an indirect path for sharing good information, if it's good, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying don't make, don't make up, um, don't make up information if it's not good, it's not good, but using them as a way to share information so that we can have, so that we can help other users, other parents understand what's going on there. So that's a lengthy example for that. This is the study. Now, the thing that I loved was that they gave a potential for a new study. Basically, they said, hey, we didn't look at the frequency, like when info is released, how often it's released, and where it's released. I think about my kids' school, and they... My school district sometimes thinks they're so good at sharing that information, but the fact is they send out an email, and it's such a lengthy email that it's just so much information to weed through, and a lot of it's just not even applicable to me and my kids and their environment. I just thought that was great that there's potential for figuring that out. The fact is, our public administrators, our district, our school board members, our principals, these are things that they need to figure out because... As parents and patrons, as this study show, when it comes to how certain types of information are shared, we prefer parent comments and information from nonprofits nonprofits over government data and numbers. That's really valuable. All right, we've come to one of my favorite parts of the podcast, which is key takeaways. So I've got two key takeaways for you today. One how we share information matters. So as a parent, I think how I'm sharing out information regarding my school, my kids' experience matters. And if I've got a negative experience to share, have I really understood that negative experience from multiple different lenses so that I'm sharing it in a way that's going to be constructive and helpful to the people who are hearing it? And then also as schools, how our school leaders share information matters. Are they understanding the experiences of the teachers and parents to be able to give that qualitative aspect to the school experience? Now, what I am not saying is that I'm not saying that numbers don't matter. Numbers do matter. So, when we're talking about numbers, numbers can have a great impact. For example, when we talk about 75% of a community, turning out and saying, voting yes, 75% of voters saying, yes, we want a school bond to pass. Well, that number is significant, especially in Idaho when we think about how a supermajority has to pass a school bond, is needed to pass a school bond. So our numbers do matter, but that qualitative experience and understanding the information and sharing it out, that's important too. So that leads to my second point, which is school leaders... They need to understand parents and teachers to be able to assess their experience and share out that valuable information. We're living in a totally different time period than we were 20 years ago. The people who are our school leaders now, a lot of them who I'm interacting with, were either... They're around my age. So they were, you know, in high school and college. And 20 years ago, or even 20 years ago, the way that parents understood and assessed information was different then. And so staying current with how we're sharing out information and making sure that we're integrating parents and teachers to understand their experiences and then share out the appropriate type of information to understand the full story. The thing that I think about with this is though Numbers do matter, but sometimes numbers don't paint the entire picture. And I remember when one of my kids was in elementary school and I was getting those ISAT tests back and their test scores were not that great, Um, especially like they were a little bit below average. And I was a little bit concerned about how my child was doing in school. And so I went and I spoke to the teacher, and it was fascinating because the teacher said, what you're seeing on those scores are not actually representative of what is happening for your child in the classroom. And because I went and got that narrative perspective from the teacher, it really broadened my perspective and helped me understand a fuller picture of what was going on for my, for my child. And so I think that this is valuable information for school leaders that, hey, yeah, share out those numbers. Data matters. Those numerical numbers matter. But so does the narrative portion of what numbers tell us and what type of experiences people are having. Okay, so thank you so much for joining the podcast today. And always remember the power of community. I'll see you out there. And that's a wrap on today's episode of Our Kids, Our Schools. Your contributions are vital in this shared journey towards a thriving school community. So let's keep this conversation going on my Instagram page at the.alexis.morgan. Share your insights, suggestions, and experiences. Follow the podcast so you never miss empowering discussions and insightful resources. And always remember, keep learning, keep questioning, and together, let's make a difference.